This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. On the top of your head, it's flat. There's no air there, whereas beard hair is tubular. That's why it's so scraggly. And, uh, and so those tubes, because we're creating the image of God, which God doesn't have an image, obviously. That's what we're talking about. He doesn't have a definition, so he certainly doesn't have an image. So why does the Torah, just as a side note, you can plug that in. As a side note, why does, why does it say we're creating an image of a being that has no image? And the answer is, is that we're created in the image of the ways of creation, which are ten spheros. Those ten spheros are chokhmabina das, which is the right brain, the left brain, the, the associative brain, the analytical brain, and then the decisive brain. And then you have chesed, your right arm, gavur is your left arm, tiferes is the heart. The right leg is netzach, the left leg is, is uh, hod, the genital region is yesod, and then the feet are malchut, is malchut, that's, that's on the earth. That's, he's lived his life, like you'll notice of all the other shepherds, chesed is Abraham, he's mystical in nature, gavur is yitzhak, totally mystical in nature, Yaakov also was just ethereal, and even Mo and Aaron is, uh, is, you know, the high priest is also, you know, you know, just mystical by nature. And Joseph's like this incredible character. But David's like dealing with the stuff we're dealing with. That's why David's so amazing. David is, uh, Jalen, try to shimmy around a bit and make room. Um, David is, King David is just dealing with stuff like we're dealing with stuff. He's totally... David's just dealing with the stuff where we got to deal with. That's why there's a famous line that says, anyone who says David sinned is mistaken. You know the famous story of David and Bathsheba? You know that one? David, David had seen a woman, you know, showering on her rooftop in the old city. And, uh, you know, I don't know what that means to see her showering. People were, women were not showering on their rooftops without, you know, some kind of... Um, I'll do that. Sorry, everybody. We're just pauses for the little do not disturb you just slide from the bottom. I you just had to do it again. And um, anyone could hit me with some water. That'd be amazing. So two cups, please. So it says, so David like sees Bathsheba and he's like, I want her. And, and then sends her husband to the front lines where like no one was living from these battles. He sends her husband to the front lines to die. And then and takes her and she's the she's the mother of Solomon like the great King Solomon like the next king of Israel and the uh, anyway that story is crazy story but yet we have a saying in Judaism that anyone who says David sinned is mistaken so what are you talking about the, the book of Samuel tells the story of the sin the mesect of Kesubos in the Gomorrah called Ketubot thank you so much really appreciate it uh, someone's at the door there. Uh, come on in, bro. We got two seats right here. You got a table. We got a table for two. You guys are all over. Just come on around. It's fine. It's the last two. No, no, keep them there. Last two seats in the house. Oh, Jalen's grabbing this. Where are you going, bro? Oh, you gave that lady a seat. You're so sweet. You're amazing. Except we only have two. Grab these two seats. No, I'll hook up Jalen. Don't worry. I got Jalen. I got Jalen. I got Jalen. Come sit. Make sure. 
Oh, you want to stand there? You can't let these give us. Well, you'd think Judaism's like winning a popularity contest. You know? <laughs> Not really. Okay, you can also just chill over there. Oh, there is. Where's the seat? Oh, he's still got a seat. Jalen, go grab him. Grab your seat. How did that happen? Magic. Where did that seat come from? Okay. Everybody come from. Was that your seat? Oh, you just were a little spaced, I think. Okay. And then the book of Psalms goes into like him saying he sinned. So why does it say anyone who says he sinned is mistaken? And the answer is, what they're really saying is anyone who focuses on his sin is mistaken. That the whole point of that sin was the years that followed of Teshuvah. And he taught us the path of how to dig our ways back to God. Because there's no one in this room who hasn't done stupid stuff. And so... When we focus on Joseph, our focus is only on the Teshuvah. The that whole book of Psalms is such a path back. The humility that he came to. Him, being, him going through hell, being chased by, his father, by King Saul, being chased by his own children out to kill him. You know, he went through hell over this sin and taught us the approach of going through hell. How many of us, one of our biggest downfalls is when we're going through stuff and then we start doing other stupid stuff because we're angry at God or maybe we feel like God left us or he's not connected to us anymore and then we start really doing stupid stuff. And King David, he's going through hell and the more hell he goes through, the closer he gets to God. He's teaching us a path, so that's what it means. It's not that he didn't do it, he did it. But it's teaching us the path of Teshuva for when you did it. And that's why King David is the earth. This is all a digression on the earth. Is that the, the final attribute of how God creates the world is that we're created in that image is the feet, which are on the ground, because King David's the one who was really on the ground. He was really on the ground. He taught us that path of Teshuvah, dealing with suffering, and how to stay close to God and even get closer, constantly humbled by the tests. Okay, back to us is what we were saying before you guys walked in, was that, the, uh, is that God hates religion, basically. And, the, and that he's had his identity stolen. The two things that we need more than anything else that have no definition, one is God. There's no definition of God. And yet it is the basis of our sanity. Literally the basis of your sanity. The more connection you have with your maker the more sane you're going to be throughout your life, the more stable stability you're going to have, the more peace you'll have in your heart. And the other is, who knows the other one, and not, I don't want my veteran students, who knows the other one that has very little definition, No, sorry, no definition, and we need it more than anything else, more than food, more than water, more than shelter, more than clothing. Who can say it? Excellent, love. Love, no definition. The two things that we can't even define are the ones we need the most. Amazing. Okay. Now, today what we're going to do is, um, believe it or not, we haven't even started, but we're going to start now for some whiteboard markers. There's one. Okay. 
hitting once per turn. Oh, you got to, oh, no, I think that's the graveyard. Okay. What we're going to do today is we're going to do meditation, but not the kind of meditation we did yesterday. Yesterday we did a meditation of getting our left brain quiet. Today we're going to be doing a meditation that Jews do every single day, but often forget to get to the meditation part. What we're going to do is a six-word mantra. A six-word mantra where each word takes you on its own journey. And, and that's what where I started this class, really, the intro was that we're not here for religion and we're not here for, for rules. We're here to connect. We came here to connect. That's what we're doing here. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to connect via six words that are probably the most ignored words ever. Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Okay? The six most ignored words in the world. Those are the six words that are in the way of your food. Those are the six words in the way of your drink. Those six words show up a lot in our different prayers that we say, and they're in the way of your day. And we're going to finally get everything else out of the way and get the words clear so that we can use them as a meditation throughout our lives. So the first word is Baruch. Oh. Uh, maybe we should start trying those pens. You can just start shooting them to me one at a time. <laughs> That's okay. Let's try again. Better. Instant improvement. And it works. Okay, great. So we're going to start with the word Baruch. I'm going to say the word Baruch. Baruch. Now take a deep breath and say it slowly with the ch at the very end. It's going to be ooh most of the time. Ready? Baruch. Very nice. Um, Moish, you can grab a chair. I just uh, wanted to introduce you all to Steve Berg. Steve Berg's the CEO of, of Aish International. He runs all of Aish Tour around the world. And I just thought he should get a little glimmer of all you, all you kids sitting in here. I was trying to peek in because I heard it was a packed, uh, packed house. Yeah, Rosh We've had a big crowd lately here at 3 to 4. And, uh, and what we're doing today is a, a meditation on the six words. Baruch HaTashem, Elokeinu, Melech with full definitions. Let's let's show them Baruch. You ready, guys? <laughs> the funny thing is, I haven't taught him what it means yet. But but we're just practicing for after I tell him what it means. You ready? Inhale. Baruch. And just so you can get a sound bite. That just so everyone gets this, the word Baruch, the root is Bet Reshchaf. Bet Reshchaf has to do with knees, which are called Berech, or two is Birkayim. And that word knees, what does that have to do with knees? What does Baruch have to do with knees? So watch what happens when you use your knees. Look at my stature right now. And now I'm going to use my knees. Baruch, okay? I use my knees. Now look at the difference. Look at the difference in the height. So what's happened there is I've humbled my stature. I've humbled my body. I've humbled my ego. By the very fact that I'm making a bracha on my food, the fact that I'm making a bracha on my food is humbling. What do most people do? Most people, they get their burger and they stuff their face with it. I mean, they might as well put it in a trough. But what we do 
is we stop for a second. We say, where's this stuff from? Where's this stuff from? There's a famous story of one of the great Hasidic masters. It was called the Magad of Mezrich. And he happened to be the Torah halachic leader of an entire region of Europe. This is at the very beginning of the Hasidic movement. And there were all these, like, rumors about some magical miracle worker called the Baal Shem Tov. And he got so tired of hearing about these stories of the Baal Shem Tov that he decided he was going to go see for himself. I mean, at first he discounted it as you know, the next, you know, Shabtai Tzvi, the next little, you know, fake messiah, you know, the next charlatan. But the problem was he kept meeting people who he held up, meeting people who were like, you know, real heavy halakhic authorities themselves who were now swearing by the Baal Shem Tov. So he says to his community and the region, I'm leaving. I'm going to meet him myself. And so he travels in those days for months. He got to, got to where he was. He gets to the Baal Shem Tov and he locks in. He's locked on for a long time. He finally comes back months later. And, you know, it's a huge welcoming the Rebbe of the regions back to town. And he's sitting there with, his, uh, with all the leaders of the community in his dining room. And the housekeeper's on her way. You know, just a peasant, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what area he was from, but originally. But whatever, the, when the Gentile housekeeper comes with the, the fruit and stuff, and she's bringing in fruit for the brachas, for the brachas. And so the main leaders there said to him, what did you discover? So you know what he said? He said, I found out that there's a God. And they looked at him, and they're like, is this a joke? Like, that's what you found out. And they, then he said, he points to the Gentile servant and says to her, uh, where'd this fruit come from? She said, the kitchen. She said, where'd it come from before the kitchen? It came from the store. Where'd it come from before the store? It came from the, from the fields. And where'd it come from before the fields? And she says, it came from God. And he looks at this great leader of the region, and he says, you know, the Gentile housekeeper says it's from God. He said, back, she says, I know. That story is about the difference between talking about things and experiencing things. The difference between knowing things and becoming present to things. The difference between being aware of things and feeling things, which is all the difference in the world. That's all the difference in the world. And what had happened, because of a false messiah by the name of Shabtai Tzvi in the 1500s, uh, the Jewish world, in, at least the Ashkenazic Jewish world, went rationalist. They went rationalist. Later to become known as Litvaks or Yeshivish or whatever. And they became rationalist. And what happened was there were, there were um, the Kabbalah and all the secrets and the real intimacy with God was quarantined to great scholars. You had to be 40 years old. You had to be knowing all of Torah to be able to get in touch with the, the real wetness of Torah. Otherwise, everything was meat and potatoes, do's and don'ts, halachic. And so what had happened in uh, 300 years ago was only 2% of Jews, even 200 years ago, only 2% of Jews, 2 to 3% of Jews were scholars. Everyone else made shoes, made glass, built homes. They worked from age 13. 
And what happened when the wetness went away from Judaism, people started losing connection. And what happened was then the Baal Shem Tov, amongst other Kabbalists, said that we're going to reintroduce the wetness into Judaism. And they reintroduced the wetness of Judaism into books called Sifrei Chasidut, Chasidus. What is Chasidus? Chasidus is Kabbalah for the layman. Kabbalah for the layman. It's Kabbalah that wouldn't be dangerous for you to learn. It wouldn't destabilize you. You wouldn't suddenly have names of God that you can like do freaky stuff with. It was, it was, it's pure Kabbalah, meaning Chasidus study is pure Kabbalah. But it's Kabbalah that is not dangerous. And that began the Hasidic movement. And a lot of those leaders used to travel to towns and just talk about the soul and let the, let the what they called the Am Ha'aretz, let the ignorant Jews who lived in all these areas know that they have a soul and that the God loves them and they're close to God. And, and that began this whole movement, which was super rational. But it was not, and you get that it wasn't new, it was what Judaism always was. Only there was a rationalist period that got that that they tr- they came to fix. And you should know that rationalist period was rejected outright by the Sephardic Jewry. Any Sephardic Jewry here? Anyone from a Sephardic background? So your families rejected that whole rationalist period, and they stayed with the original flow. They stayed in the real flow. That's why you'll notice that you probably get along well with Hasidic people. Because you're in the flow, they're in the flow. And you just probably don't even get the yeshivish types. Yeah. You get them? Yes, you get them too. Okay. I don't get them. Just kidding. <laughs> now, the... Um, anyway, but, the, but there was a big kickback. Unfortunately, the... Uh, the rationalists fought back. I mean, we are very change-resistant. Judaism is very change-resistant. We don't, we don't do well with change, which is good, because we're still intact. And we're, we're not very change. Uh, we're not pro-change. You know, you, one guy said, someone just says a word even a little bit wrong while reading the Torah on Shabbat. You know what happens? <laughs> to us, it's normal. <laughs> the rest of the world, they're like, what'd you do to the poor kid? You know, it's a bar mitzvah boy. You know, he reads one word a little wrong. What happens is almost everyone in the shul <laughs> yells what word, how it was supposed to be said. You know, and the kid's just like... <laughs> you're, lucky he you're lucky he doesn't start crying. And then he, after a while, though, he gets used to the fact that he's not going to be able to miss a word. So, anyway. Anyway, but there were people who, uh, who fought it. And, um, and whatever, so, so that's why there's two camps in the Ashkenazic world. There's the Sephardic Jews, who have one camp, which stayed with that original formula. Then you have Ashkenazic Jews, you have the camp that went rationalist. And it's not that they're into, not into Kabbalah, their leaders are very into Kabbalah. But it doesn't trickle down. And then the Hasidic, who, they do trickle down the mysticism, so that you don't just say there's a God, but you know it. You're not just talking about God, but you're experiencing God. So let's get back to our experience. So Baruch is connected, the word Baruch is connected to knees, and it's talking about lowering the stature. It's talking about humbling yourself, the fact that you're even saying it instead of just eating the burger. 
shows that you're humble and that you recognize there's a source for things. And the other word baruch, it, uh, sorry, the word baruch means both knees, which means humble, and it also is the word for pool or reservoir, which means source of sustenance. The word brecha is the same exact root, brecha. If you go to a hotel today, there's a button on the elevator usually that says brecha for the pool at the hotel. But before our days of opulence, pools were for drinking and irrigating crops. They were the source of sustenance. Source of sustenance. You know, they weren't necessarily swimming pools unless you were some king or something. Solomon had tools. Okay? But the rest of the world, a brecha was what kept you alive. It was the source of life. And that's the word baruch, meaning I am, I am humbling myself and I'm recognizing the source. Get that? Humbling myself, the knees, and I'm recognizing the source. Now let's try it, baruch. Ready? Inhale. Perfect. So you just want to have that in mind whenever you say the word Baruch. Now, unfortunately for us, because brachas have been what's in the way of our food, we have been attaching it already to the next word. In fact, you would think the way you say brachas, no offense, that the word atah begins with a chaf. Why? Because what does everyone say? Baruch atah. Because they're just trying to get all this out of the way so they can get to the food. So they'll say Baruch atah. So from now on, Baruch Hashem, you guys are all in this class. No one in here will ever say Baruch Hatah again unless they're really in a hurry. And sometimes we are. Not a big deal. So from now on, you are going to say Baruch Atah. And let Atah begin with an olive, which is how it's spelled. Okay? So let's all try just to separate them from now on. You ready? They'll do it three times. Baruch Atah. Three times. Ready? Baruch Atah. Again. Baruch Atah. One more time. Baruch Okay? Two separate words, each with their own meaning, each with their own world. I'm my Rebbe is so Kabbalistically out out outer space. <laughs> I was say out to lunch. He's so Kabbalistically outer space that he doesn't even know a talk comes after Baruch. I've been with him where he said Baruch and there was not even any wine left in his cup while he was done saying the word Baruch. And we're all, you know, so sun's filling up the cup again. And, and we're ready for Atah. He's not ready for Atah. He didn't even know Atah comes after Baruch. So he motions to his son to bring a sitter. His son brings a prayer book. We open it up to, to any points to the word Atah. And then the Rebbe's like, Atah. And, you know, like, I mean, he's really out there. And, and <laughs> wine's going everywhere for Atah. Anyway, but everyone should know that it's not Atah, it's Atah. Might as well get that right. Atah. Ah has a pasach, a patach, opening. Ah, ah, doorway is it called an opening. Patach. And then komez is from the word to kvetch, to uh, contract. Because everything's expansion, contraction. And the sounds in Hebrew are either expansive sounds, which are going to come down the right side of, uh, this is for more advanced people, chachma, chesed, netzach. And then there's more contractive words, which are going to be on the side of Bina, Gevura, and Hod, 
which are going to be like a comet, is going to be more contractive. Okay? Comets. So under the ta is a comet, and under the aleph is a a. So it's ata. Try that. Ata. Ata. Very good. Okay, so we're going to look at the word ata. Ata is an interesting word. It's lots of fun. And you'll see that the word ata, I'm not going to go too deep with you guys, but let's just go on the most important part. The most important part about the word is abata is that it's the holiest word of the braha. The holiest word of the whole braha. So what do you mean it's the holiest word? How is that the holiest word? So the reason it's the holiest word is because it doesn't mean anything. What's the, what are the, one of the one things we need more than anything else in the world that has no definition, no real definable meaning? What is it? God. If you look at the other things, we call God in a bracha four things. We call him Atta. We call him Hashem. We call him Elokeinu. And we call him a king, Melech. So the Kabbalists teach us that the holiest of all the words we call him is Atta, because it's the only word that is not an action. Hashem has to do with a lot of action. Elokeinu has to do with a lot of action. Melech has to do with action. He relates to us as a king. That's action. But Atta doesn't mean anything. Even think about the word you. I mean, what does it mean? It mean Atta means you. So what do you, I mean, what is it when I say you? How are you? Would you like some water? What's up with you? You ever thought about what the you is when I say how are you? Meaning your eye? What is your eye? What is that? Does it show up in an MRI? Does your eye show up in an MRI? Does it? No. It doesn't show up in an MRI. It's not anything definable at all. Who you are has no definition whatsoever. That's why I run seminars called The Possible You, because it's full poss- the possible you. It's the full possibility of who you are, as opposed to all your definitions that you created, probably in some lousy situation when you were little, not getting picked for a play or a team or getting left in the park or something. That's probably how you define yourself. Everyone should want me around or pay attention to me some attention and significance like, you know that's a that's a that's a that's a lesson in you know running a gerbil wheel the rest of your life never feeling fulfilled the I that you really are is is has no definition at all it is endless and it's filled with infinite possibility that's who you really are and that's the word that was my shameless plug by the way because I just remembered I'm running a women's seminar like now I keep saying next month, but it's the month that is that was the next month. Uh, w- does someone tell me what date it is? <coughs> January what? <coughs> Whoa. Okay, women's seminar. There's an introductory f- session on the 21st, and then the seminar itself is Sunday to Sunday on the 24th. Sunday the 24th of January. Um, ladies, I highly recommend you go there. And if anyone threatens you to be thrown out of school for attending, it's worth it. <laughs> Just ask him. <laughs> he's been thrown out twice over the seminar. So he, every time he does a seminar, he's thrown out. So, okay. He's not joking. Yeah. And have you ever been disappointed? Off, on the recording or off the recording? No, I'm saying, <laughs> no, I'm saying, was it worth it? Yes. <laughs> Disappointing for being thrown out is extremely disappointing. (laughs)
Okay, now, here we go. No, it's just that because it's many hours at night. Not every school so open to it. Okay, here we go. Is your seat available? There's a seat right there. Take this seat. Why don't you can come sit? has no definition, just like you have no definition. It's the essence of God, that's all. It's the essence. It's before Facebook ripped it off, okay? Pure essence. We don't know what it means even. Meaning when you say atah, you have to let go of every thought you ever had of God. It's just whatever, that's what I opened the class with. It's just whatever made this place. We don't know what that is. Your mind will never get around it. And I hate to break the news, but even when you die. If those of you who are like thinking that you get to see behind the curtain when you pass away and your soul goes up, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. You'll get a you'll, meaning. Let's say right now we get. I don't know what percentage would you say God's showing us right now. One percent, half a percent, a quarter percent. I guess in the Swiss Alps, two percent. You know, depends. You know, if you're drinking craft beer, three percent. Okay, lager, you're back down to about quarter of a percent. You know? So, you understand what I'm saying? There's, there are things that are clearly God. You know, you can't get around it. One of those things is obviously the innuendos that are statistically impossible that happen to all of us. You know, it's not every day, but it happens. Where you just have these statistically improbable things totally orchestrated right in front of your face. So, those things are undeniable. But let's just give it a couple percent. A couple percent. Now, when you die, you definitely get a lot more definitely get a lot more, but do you think you're ever going to get your conscious head around it? Your consciousness will never die. Remember, the one thing in the way of your consciousness is your left brain thinking, the mental chatter, the constant calculation of your left brain. That's what gets in the way of you, of your pure consciousness. But that pure consciousness, you can't kill it. If it doesn't show up on an MRI, it doesn't die. You got that? The I that you are, if it doesn't show up on an MRI, it's not going to be dying either. In fact, death will be the first time it, it's truly free. You see how free it is when you're asleep. Look where it goes. Whoa. And you know, my wife, when I got home last night, my wife was giggling. I'm like, she was asleep and giggling. So um, I was like, what's going on in there? And she, she's, she tells me, like a 20-minute dream, which I, I was actually on my phone just reading emails, but the, um, she tells me a 20-minute dream. <laughs> hey, you want to hear someone's 20-minute fabrication of their sleep? Yeah. So, anyway, I'm, I'm, all the women in here are, like, ready to kill me. But <laughs> she didn't see me. I was, like, washing up around the corner, but I had my phone on the, on the uh, sink. It was just some crazy dream. I mean, it was crazy. We had our, she said our Revison was driving an 18-wheeler truck. <laughs> so, I'll be reading my emails, okay? So, I was reading my emails instead of hearing about my, our Revison, this holy lady driving an 18-wheeler. You know, so, anyway... But did you know that the, the time you have REM, that your eye, which is called rapid eye movement, that's why you're dreaming, do you know how long it is? Maximum, seven seconds. REM, seven seconds. Her seven-second dream in the soul unfolded in her, in, when she gave me the narrative, to 20 minutes. Seven seconds becomes 20. So for sure when you die you're going to have much greater access to this consciousness. Your consciousness will never die. The thing that's most in the way of it is your brain. And you see when you go to sleep and your left brain finally can relax. 
those of you who have trouble sleeping, it's because your left brain never relaxes. And But the rest of us who actually go right to sleep, who have a little control over our thinking, we're a little more disciplined in the two sides of our brain, as opposed to being constantly run around self-righteous like you're some good thinker, when really you're probably the most miserable person if you're one of those overthinkers, if you'd admit it. And the, uh, whereas a disciplined thinker uses both sides of his brain. And believe me, my left side of the brain works well. And, but I'm not gonna hang around there, especially in bedtime, when it's time to finally relax. Now, you see where the, where the consciousness goes in those seven seconds. Imagine when you die and there's just no left brain at all bothering you anymore. You don't have to deal with your left brain anymore. I know this is beginning to sound like a death cult. But Judaism actually is a life cult, because we're all about it. Like, we're all about life. You want to live as long as you can. We even hide our tzitzits, you know, the cosmic dental floss? We hide them. We actually tuck them inside our pants when we go into a cemetery, because we don't want to rub into the dead people's face mitzvahs that they can no longer do. We're, we actually want to live as long as possible, because every mitzvah you do has eternal I know you all think in religion, I'm going to say eternal reward. I was not going to say that. It creates, it, it cre you go into a realm that is eternal, but it creates access of consciousness. It creates greater access to consciousness to where you are able to experience the vibrational bandwidth in a greater way. That's all. And that's what you're all about anyway. I mean, not, maybe not you guys, because a lot of you look like you were raised observant. But if you check out secular kids, totally secular kids raised secular, like Iowa, and you will find them in rock concerts on the end of the week. Not every week, you know, because it depends who's in town and stuff. But there will be sometimes bands in town that will be playing. And a lot of them go to clubs that do this, um, DJs and stuff. They'll be playing vibrational frequencies, otherwise known as music. And those vibrational frequencies will get 30,000 people literally moving to, to, the, to the waves of the sound. That's what we want. That's all we really want. We at least have the maturity to realize that we want something more than just our body vibrating to the sound. We actually want the, all five levels. There's five levels of vibrational uh, resonance. And the, oh, the first lowest level is, is just that you're, you're in tune with the music or you're connecting to the salmon you're eating or you know, the fish you're eating or the beer you're drinking. And stuff. That, that's, that's wonderful, but there's four higher levels and we're mature enough. That's why you're in here. You guys aren't at the concert. You're in this class because you all suspect that there's some higher things to be connecting to than just the physical vibrational reality. Now, when you die, and the body goes into the ground and the left brain finally shuts up completely and totally. So then the consciousness gets to go to the vibrational realms of, of the fifth level, which is achievable in this world. I, that's certainly what I'm out to get. And uh, various other close colleagues of mine is what we're all working for the fifth. The fifth means to be um, vibrationally in sync with the creator. And that's totally possible. You can get that sync up. You can sync it up. And it takes more discipline than just your brain. You're going to have to have a lot of discipline. But if you, get the, if you come in as a Jew who's disciplined, you can sync up with the Creator. And, that, of course, it's nothing compared to the sync up when you die, but 
but you can sync up while you're alive. You can get in sync with God, and it's a really awesome place to be. And I, we worked on it yesterday a little bit. Anyone who was here yesterday, raise your hand if you were here yesterday. Keep your hands up if you enjoyed it. <laughs> you didn't like it. We discussed that. We talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> I triggered a little something. We're over that now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I actually have a question. I wish you raised your hand at the beginning of that class. I would have loved to just give it five minutes and then move into the meditation. No, I wish I had two. Uh, Next time. Next you time. wanted to say something? Yes, I did. What are levels two through four? <laughs> so two, two is, uh, is love. And uh, three is, is contribution. It's when you actually are fixing the world. It's a very high vibrational frequency. I get to be in it all the time because I literally wake up for it and spend my whole day doing it. So it's very special. But of course, I start the day with, num with number five, the high, higher one. Number four is uh, number four is is the um, is the it, it's it's good, completely related to the contribution. It's a feeling you get. It's very it's very. Uh, sensory when you made the difference when you make that difference you ever helped someone any of you ever helped someone and you saw so clearly to the point where they even fed back like they gave you feedback like wow what a difference you made for them do you know that pleasure I'm talking about of actually being there for somebody and having made that difference so it's a subtle one it's really connected to number three but you can have a contribution and number three and literally live for it but not have ever had the experience of m making that difference for somebody. You want me to give you an example of what I mean by that? How you can have three without four? Um, I think the best example of all is, is the observant Jewish community especially the Haredi black attitude community. They are so committed to this contribution of theirs but they rarely ever get the chance to sense the difference they make. If they are making a difference, it's totally spiritually. Like, when do they ever get to actually experience it? Except for maybe their own children, but by the time your kid turns around and says thank you, you can wait for years, you know. Um, which is that pleasure. It's that pleasure. You made the difference. And the, so, so that's what I'm saying. You can have a tremendous stand. I mean, Haredi Jews, black attitude Jews, have a tremendous stand in life. They are committed. They're in. And they sacrifice so much for it. But they don't necessarily get the pleasure of having that touchstone moment of, of really making that difference for a person. And that's unique for those who reach out. And it's reserved for those who actually reach out. And you should know that anyone you know who reaches out to people in any capacity, could be just feeding people, they, uh, any capacity, they are living in a level of pleasure that you'll never touch until you tr until you're doing it too. And it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter the quantity; it's just quality. Like it could literally be just handing someone a sandwich who you know is hungry. And that's not quantity; it's quality. And but but that's what you want to you know, you want to go to bed every day having had that experience. And I think what I get like I get to touch your guys' hearts for this hour daily like done you know like I, I mean this this is the cake and the icing and the cherry you know just being able to do this with you guys is so amazing 
so amazing. I'm tapped into that, to that pleasure. And then the, uh, and the highest is obviously being in sync with the Creator, which we mentioned. Okay? Now, Atah is the essence of God that's the unknowable. It's the unknowable. It's the, if anyone studied philosophy in university, which is almost no one, but you'd even have to get to graduate studies. But in graduate studies philosophy, there's something called deconstructionism. It's the highest level in philosophy. Deconstructionism means that you deconstruct what you thought everything meant. When I was, in, when I was going to grad school uh, level philosophy classes, we had, to, we had to read famous books and give a totally new reading to the book. Like, I had to read uh, Herman Melville's Moby Dick, and I had to give a... I'm not going to say it in this class. <laughs> Should I say it? It was, I had to give a, I mean, it's funny to say it, there's nothing I was saying, but I'm, it was a, it's just a little weird. The, the, my assignment, it was a personal assignment, was I had to give a midget, m- lesbian midget's reading of Moby Dick. <laughs> Meaning, who cares what Herman Melville meant when he wrote his classic work? It's insane. It is crazy. You know, like, like, I, I was sitting there going, like, come on, professor. Like, let's use a little common sense. You know, if a guy authored a book, he's trying to get across something. And he was like, no. We're going to have our own reading. And this is your reading, Yom Tov. And I'm just like, what? So I had to, like, get into it. You know, like, I had to wear it. You know, I had to feel it. And, and write my paper. So if any of you didn't go to <laughs> if any of you if any of you didn't go to university, so you know, let's just say I went for you, okay? I I, I died for your sin. So, and you certainly don't need to go to the philosophy department. But you can imagine when I walked out of there, I was ready to jump off a bridge. You know, here I was like giving academia, the chance to show me what was meaningful in life. And I get to the top class, and it says there is no meaning. I was like, who do I kill? You know, I just wanted to pull out a little, like, submachine gun, you know, and blow away the whole school. You know, like, there is no meaning? Oh, thank you. Now, by the way, I just want to mention something very powerful. Because a lot of you are thinking, yeah, those university academics with their, with their uh, heresy, their heresy. You want to know something? We have a book written by the son of David, the son of Bathsheba, mentioned earlier in this class, called Ecclesiastes, that goes chapter after chapter out of the whole, how the whole world's meaningless. When I saw that book, I was like, I want to call my professor. I couldn't believe it. We have a whole book about the meaninglessness of life. Except every time King Solomon said the world's meaningless, he always said the words. Under, under the sun. Where do we get the saying, nothing new under the sun? It's from King Solomon. He always says the words under the sun, meaning it's meaningless under the sun. What are you supposed to do if he keeps saying under the sun? I mean, think about it, you need the words under the sun. It doesn't make any sense, meaning... meaning what, some other planet out there in the galaxies is meaningful? No, what he's saying is, under the sun, I'm using this as the sun, under the sun, it's meaningless. However, what? 
over the Son, meaning God's will and wisdom, as it is understood through Torah and, and uh, Masorah and our transmission of it, that's what's meaningful. Everything else is meaningless. So if, the, if, so if your meaning-making make, turns you on, so great, but otherwise it's meaningless. Meaning I, I get, I'm crazy for craft beer. I know it's the third time I mention it. But I'm making a lot of meaning out of a beverage. It's a beverage. Get over it. But because it brings me joy, so be it. It's not really inherently meaningful. But if it brings me joy, great. But think about it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to challenge all of you just for a minute, and I'm going to finish up this lecture. I'm going to challenge all of you that your meaning-making has taken away your joy because you've made meaning out of every single thing in this world to somehow mean something that will fit into some story that you told yourself when you were little about yourself. And you've been trying to fit everything into that and somehow survive. King Solomon came to the world to tell us it's meaningless and you should have joy. It's the weirdest book because it says it's meaningless, 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 meaningless. Have a good time. Meaningless, 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 meaningless. Enjoy the spouse of your youth. Meaningless, 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 meaningless. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's where those words come from. It's like, make up your mind. What are you, what are you a schizo? Is it meaningless? Or is it have a good time? Make up your mind. The answer is it's meaningless and have a good time. Stop making so much meaning out of everything that causes you to constantly calculate and fit everything going on around you into some self-surviving story to, like, survive your story about your life. It was meaningless, and just enjoy your life and let yourself be filled with possibility. You have endless possibilities available to you. But if you're always stuck in that story and therefore having to calculate the meaning of everything around you to somehow survive it, you'll never be happy. So what's meaningful in the end? One sec, what's meaningful in the end? God's will and wisdom. In the end, the only thing meaningful is the will and wisdom of the Creator. That's inherently meaningful. Whereas all the other meaning we make, if it ain't turning you on, get rid of it. What do you need it for? Have a good time. Yeah. It's okay. Now, moving on. So there's one more thing you got to know about Atah, and then we're going to end with that. So we're only going to do a Baruch and Atah tomorrow. We'll do the, the other names. We know that. Now. The word Atah, what does it mean? What did it mean in English? You. Everyone say the word you. Yeah. Is that first, second, or third person? Second, second person. Is that respectful? No. no. You don't call anyone you respect you. If you're in a judge, if you're in front of a judge, you say your your honor. If you're in front of a king, it's your highness. If if, if some people call an officer <laughs> officer, they call the Mr. President. In a Rosh Hashiva, you don't call him you. How is the Rosh Hashiva feeling today? So our Kabbalists called the word Atah you. They call it chutzpah, lashon chutzpah. Now, that's a Yiddish word, so to speak, but it's really Hebrew. Chutzif means to spout out, like to be, to be uh, brazen. How dare you call God you? Who are you to call God you? Any of you ever even thought about this before? Raise your hand if you never thought about this before. Why are you calling God you? Who are you to call God you? 
Who do you think? So, so, the, so the Kabbalists say it's chutzpah. Except what? You're allowed to call God you as long as it follows the word Baruch. Because when I lower, look carefully guys, when I lower my stature, when I lower, watch me do this, when I lower my body, when you lower the body of a person, what rises? When you humble, what goes up? When the body goes down, what goes up? Huh? Say in English. When your body goes down, what comes up? The soul. What is the soul? We already spoke about it. It's your true consciousness. It's this thing that, has, that will never die. It's not an MRI. It's, it's not even unique to you. We all share it. And it's... A part, meaning, where does it come from? It's coming from it. We're created by a consciousness. The whole world, what made this place? A consciousness made this place. So we're being made, we're being beamed into existence from, from nothing to something at all times... There is no such thing as linear time. We are being beamed in from nothing to something at all times. This is the unfolding of infinite to finite. You have this soul, and when you humble the ego, when you dump the body, when you lower that ego, the soul rises, and you and God now are contemporaries. And contemporaries use second person. When a judge, after work, is playing tennis with another judge, he doesn't say, it's your serve, your honor. He says, you're a serve. They call each other you. The word you is chutzpah. Unless you've opened the door to the soul, which is the word baruch. Baruch humbles the body so that the soul rises. And now you have entry and permission to call God in second person because you are like God in that you have a soul which is from God. It's of God. So let's try them both now. So we got Atta is essence, meaning it's beyond definition. And then the second one will be that it is, um, you are contemporaries with God because of, of your humbling yourself. Okay, let's go. Big breath. We'll do two breaths. One for this, one for this. Bo. God and your soul. Let's do them both again. Practice. Close your eyes for Atta. Start with essence. Atta. Undefinable essence and you are contemporaries because your soul is being beamed into you from it. <coughs> Thank you very much everybody. Keep it up. Give it up, guys. Needs uh, a name, but just we finish and post. Anyone who ever wants. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.